Well, good morning and welcome. We're glad to see everyone that's come along today to hear the Word of God. Um, I'm going to continue on my series of fundamentals of the faith. And really what I'm trying to do is take you through key core subjects of the Bible that present to us the truth of God. Now, we've done quite a number of these topics. Um, we've talked about redemption. We've talked about regeneration. We've talked about reconciliation. And today, we're going to talk about propitiation. Now, that might seem like a big word, and it might be something that most of us are not very familiar with. Um, and hopefully today, I'm going to break it down so that we can clearly understand what this word means and how this tremendous truth is presented to us so clearly in the Word of God. Uh, it's not a word that we use today in our uh, regular English language, but it is a very powerful word, and it conveys an amazing truth in the Bible. So what does the word propitiation mean? Well, in a lot of your translations that you have in your lap as you look at the scriptures that we'll read today, it might be translated the atoning sacrifice or the sin atoning sacrifice of Christ. Propitiation is really the idea of appeasing or satisfying a righteous and a holy God on account of our sin. The word actually comes from a Latin word, that means to show gracious favor, to show undeserved favor. And the Hebrew word um, is directly translated in the Old Testament, mercy seat, or to make a covering for. It's really the place that God meets with man, propitiation. So there are four references to this word in the New Testament, and I would like to read them with you today. So if you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 24. Romans 3 and verse 24, these four verses are up here on the screen, so you can follow along. It says, being justified freely by His grace... Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. So this verse is really saying that it is found in a person, not a religion. It is found in a person, Jesus Christ, whom God has set forth to be the propitiation or the sin-atoning sacrifice for us, and it comes through faith. So now let's go to Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to read verse 17.
Verse 16, it says, He took not on him the nature of angels. This is in reference to the um, incarnation of the Lord Jesus. But he took on him the seed of Abraham. He actually became a man. Whereof in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, I want to major today my thoughts on 1 John chapter 2. So if we turn to 1 John chapter 2, and reading at verse 1. 1 John chapter 2 verse 1 says, My little children, or my dear children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate. That is a beautiful word, and we're going to try to develop it today. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Amazing truth. Chapter 4 and verse 10. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the sin atoning sacrifice for our sins. This love was demonstrated when God gave His only Son to become the satisfaction to God for our sins. There are really three places that I would like to take you to today. Uh, in order to really teach this truth of propitiation and to get a full picture of this concept that God has presented to us in the Word of God, we need to go to three places in the Scriptures. First of all, I want to take you to the Old Testament. Because a casual reader of the New Testament that comes across this word propitiation would not really understand the tremendous impact, the tremendous teaching of this truth if they didn't understand what happened in the Old Testament. So I want to take you back to a place where God meets with man in the holiest of all. It's called the Holy of Holies. The tabernacle when God said to Moses and Aaron, I will meet you there. I enjoyed that thought this morning at the Lord's Supper, and we had some thoughts on it, but we're going to go back there. And then secondly, I want to take you to a place where man meets the Savior at the cross. 
it was so fitting that we sang that, that beautiful hymn today. Um, there's a place where mercy reigns, never dies. A place where God's grace flows deep and wide. That, that is the theme of my message today. We're going to go to the cross, and we're going to see how and where and when God has made satisfaction for our sins once for all, a place where man meets the Savior. And then I want to take you today to a place where Christ is today, heaven, the immediate presence of God. And I want to show you from the scriptures of that work, of the high priestly work of Christ as our advocate, a place where Christ advocates for every believer. It's called heaven. A place where God meets man. Now, if you were to go into the Old Testament and read Leviticus chapter 16, you would see an amazing truth of the great day of atonement. And uh, this is a place where sins had to be covered for a year. This was one day in the history of the nation of Israel that was probably the most significant day of their year. And I just want to maybe kind of bring this to life today and show you a little bit about what the events of that day looked like and what actually happened. Because it is so significant to understand that when we come to the New Testament and God teaches us this truth of propitiation. So here's the history. God said that you would take a day, one day a year, on the seventh month and the tenth day of that month. You get that from Leviticus chapter 23. It was to be the seventh month and the tenth day of that month. The great day of atonement. In Israel today, they celebrate it as Yom Kippur. Kippur. And it is something that is so significant in the mind of every true Israelite. It is the day when God made atonement for their sins. Now here's what would happen in that day. It was a most solemn day. Aaron would get up, likely very early in the morning, and he would wash himself and he would put on clean linens. This was the day that the high priest was going to meet God. Now you imagine how solemn that would be. Because if, if Aaron didn't do this right, he actually wouldn't survive this day. That's how significant and solemn it was. And all the children of Israel would come out of their tent, probably a million and a half people, and they would gather around the tabernacle. And, and like, could you imagine these kids? They'd be looking in, Dad, what's going on? I, I can't see him. Just, just hang on, son. He's coming. He's coming. And here comes Aaron. And he's dressed in linen clothes. And he is going to go in behind the curtain. And he's going to meet God. Now, 
Every Israelite that day would have known how holy and how righteous God is. And if this wasn't done right, Aaron's not coming out from behind the curtain. This is a very solemn, significant day. Now, Aaron can't go in to that curtain without blood. And so, Aaron is just like the rest of us. He's a sinner. He's got his own sins. The sins of his children. The sins of his family. And so, God says, Aaron, before you come into that curtain, you need to make atonement for your own sin and then for the sins of the people. So God says, Aaron, take a bull. Aaron takes that big, strong animal, and he slays that bull. And he collects the blood. And then he takes two goats, probably nice, white, furry, innocent-looking creatures, two goats. One is called the Lord's goat, and the other is called the scapegoat. And God is going to illustrate truth relative to propitiation with these two goats. And the nation of Israel are watching and they're looking and they're, and they're waiting. And Aaron has taken that bull and he's, he's killed that bull and he's got the blood for his own sins and the sins of his family. And then he takes those two goats and, and one of them he kills. And he takes the blood of that goat. And the other one is still alive. And Aaron takes that blood for the bull and the goat. And he goes into the holiest of all. Wow. Now, no one was allowed to enter that place. And the only person that could ever enter it was the high priest. And he could only go once a year. On this day, the Day of Atonement. So Aaron goes in, and he has the blood. And in that place, there is the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. It's probably about six or seven feet wide. And there's a drawer in the Ark of the Covenant. And in that drawer is the tablets of stone, the law of God, which no man can keep. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not worship any other person or God or thing. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Every one of us have broken God's law. There's not a person that ever lived that hasn't sinned against God. And Aaron goes in, and, and here are the tablets, and they're in that Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. It's a picture of Jesus Christ, God's Son, holiness. And above that is a mercy seat. A seat where God is going to meet with man. And two cherubims, and they're looking at each other. And God says, Aaron, come in on that day Bring blood and sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant and before the mercy seat. And there I will meet you. Aaron goes in. I, I'm sure he's probably trembling. And he, 
He goes in behind that curtain, and there's the Ark of the Covenant, and, and he sprinkles that blood that represents an innocent life uh, of that bull and that goat that was slain. And God meets with him, and God communicates to him. And the righteous claims of God had to be met, or Aaron would die. And the people outside are watching. It's, it's taken half an hour. I'm wondering what's going on. Is Aaron going to come out? Did he do it right? What if, what if he messed up? He's going to die because God is holy. And, and the kids are probably looking, Dad, Dad, is, is he out there yet? Well, we haven't seen him yet. We haven't seen him. He's, he's in there. He's, he's, he's doing what he needs to do. And he has taken blood into the very immediate presence of God for the sins of the people. Okay, got that? That's, that's very significant. This was a yearly ritual. <laughs> it was only good for 365 days. Got to do it all over again. Next July, got to do it all over again. I, I don't know how this all went down, but can you imagine trying to remember your sins for a year? Like, I can't even remember my sins for 24 hours. Probably the most of my sins that I commit, I, I don't, I'm not even conscious of them. You know, and, and here's these people, and they're probably thinking, all the sins that I've done, every time I've broken God's law, you know, all, all the, the, the awful, wicked, sinful thoughts that I had, all these things that I've done against this holy, righteous God, it, it, am I going to be okay? They didn't really know. Am I going to be okay? Aaron takes that blood, and he goes into the presence of God, and he sprinkles it. And God says, I will meet you there. The righteous claims of God are met. Sins are covered for another year. And there was a remembrance of sins made every single year. Aaron comes out, and everybody's like, oh, I'm so glad he made it. Survived. Another year. We're going to be okay. I'm sure parents would say to their children, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Okay, we, we got another 365 days. We're going to be okay. You know what? Aaron did it right because he didn't die. And Aaron comes out and he takes this little innocent goat, puts his hand on its head, and he confesses over the head of that goat all the sins, all the iniquities, all the shortcomings, all the failures of all the children of Israel. How long did that take? I can't imagine. And here's that little goat with Aaron's hand on its head, hardly even realizing what's going on. And over the head of that goat is confessed all the sins of all the wickedness of all the children of Israel. And then you know what happens to that goat? A strong man picks that goat up. Everybody watches. And he takes that goat by the hands of a fit man. And he walks. 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 Out into the wilderness. And the nation of Israel are watching on the horizon until he's just a little wee speck. And they don't see it ever again. Here is 
this innocent scapegoat that bears the sins of the whole children of Israel and is taken away. Okay, what in the world does that have to do with me? I can tell you clearly what it has to do with you. This is a beautiful, absolutely phenomenal picture of what God has done for you and me in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, at the cross. This is propitiation. This is where a holy and a righteous God can forgive your sins. Let me tell you something that I think is so important. Grace cannot be offered apart from righteousness. In other words, God can only forgive sin if the righteous claims of God are met. And if the righteous claims of God are not met, even God cannot forgive your sin because he cannot overlook it because it's contrary to his character. God is holy. Sin must be put away righteously or there's no grace. Romans chapter 3 and verse 21 says, Grace reigns through righteousness. Got the picture of the Ark of the Covenant? It's a righteous, holy God with a holy standard of the law that no one can keep. How can grace be offered? Blood is sprinkled on it. Blood is sprinkled on it. And so a holy and a righteous God can forgive sin because of the payment price that was made on account of our sin. Could I just say this as I go through it? I feel this very strongly because of the work that I do on the street and um, the many discussions that I have with well-meaning, sincere Muslims. I say to them, is Allah holy? Absolutely, yes. Is he righteous? Yes. Okay, good. Can he forgive your sin? Yes. Well, how does he forgive your sin? Well, at the day of judgment, when we stand before him, he looks at all the good things that we've done and how we've tried to be good Muslims, and he shows mercy to us, and he forgives our sin. How do you know that? Well, we don't really know. We, we kind of hope that this will happen. Okay, so what is the payment price for sin in Islam? There's no payment price for sin. There's no blood that was shed. There's no sacrifice. God, who is righteous and holy, cannot overlook sin unless there was a payment price for sin. This is what's so beautiful. In Romans, it says, so that God can be just and the justifier of him that believeth on Jesus. Because God's holy standard of righteousness has to be paid before he can offer grace or mercy to anyone. And because Jesus Christ died, and because the sacrifice was made, now he can offer mercy and grace. You know that little hymn, Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, and God the just is satisfied 
to look on Christ and pardon me. Settled forever, sin's tremendous claim. Glory to Jesus, blessed be his name. No partway measure does his grace provide. Finished the work was when the Savior died. The righteous claims of God were met at Calvary when Jesus died for our sin, when his blood was shed. And so now God's character is not compromised. Someone paid for sin. Thank God it wasn't you. Jesus died so your sin and mine could be forgiven. And now a righteous and a holy God can open the doors of heaven and say, Come, come to me. I found a ransom. The blood has been shed. And there I will meet with you. A place where God meets man. I want to tell you about a place where man meets the Savior. It's called the cross. Have you ever been to the cross? <laughs> at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. It is, it is the most significant place for every human being to meet the Savior at the cross. You know what we sang today? So I'll cherish the old rugged cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Have you been to the cross? Folks, this is the most important, significant place in your entire history. I was at a funeral yesterday. Dear man of God, 78 years old, he, he passed away, and all his family were there. And, and you know, they got up, and, and somebody told his conversion, how he got to the cross. And somebody told how he loved singing those old hymns. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know, a week before he died, his family gathered around his bedside and they sang that hymn and it thrilled his soul. A week later, he's in the glory. Could I ask you a question today? If you died today, are your sins forgiven? Are you right with God? Have you been to the cross? Folks, th this is the only thing that matters. Nothing else is anywhere near as significant. When you come to your last day, the only thing that's going to matter is have I met the Savior? Are my sins forgiven? Do I have eternal life? Could I tell you today? You can have that today. Nobody needs to leave this place today without knowing for sure their sins are forgiven because at the cross, you can meet the Savior. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. Oh, thank God. You know why I thank God for that? Because I'm a sinner. And you don't know the sins of my life. And I don't know the sins of your life. But I know this. God is holy. And he will not overlook my sin. My sin had to be paid for. And you know what? 
I don't deserve it. And frankly speaking, neither do you. None of us deserve to have our sin put away. But God, who is holy, has provided a place where we can meet God, where we can have our sins forgiven, and it's at the cross. A place where grace, undeserved kindness, flows deep and wide. Why is it deep and wide? Because it's available for all. There is not one person in this world that's excluded from the grace of God. It is not limited. It will cleanse the deepest sins of the worst of humanity. And it's available today for all. God wants to meet you at the cross. It's a place where God himself paid the price of my sin. Just look at 1 John 2 for a second. I love this verse. If any man sin, is that you? I can tell you it's me. You ever sinned? If any man sin, when it says man, it means man, woman, boy, girl, any human being. If anyone sins, we have an advocate. And he, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, is the propitiation for our sins. Folks, this is not a religion. This is not some kind of denominational system where you sign a card, you get baptized, you join a membership. This is the person of Jesus Christ, God's Son, and He, He is the propitiation. Nothing else. Nothing else will do. He is the propitiation. Not He may be or He was. He is yesterday, today, and forever. I will be able to quote this verse in heaven 10 billion years from now. He is the propitiation for my sins. He was, he is, and he forever has satisfied God on account of my sin. Do you know what's so awesome about this? I didn't pay for it. Neither did you. In fact, you can't pay for it. Nobody can. The only person who could pay this price is God himself. And folks, he's paid it. He has paid the price in full. He is the satisfaction to God on account of my sins. Jesus Christ has met the claims of God on account of my sin. The righteous claims of God were met at the cross when Jesus died. You know what's so amazing about this? This is not a yearly thing. <laughs> this is not something that I got to do on the 10th of July every year. No. This is once forever. Let me quote you some verses to back that up. Hebrews 10. It says this man. After he offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Sat down 
the right hand of the majesty on high forever. This absolutely destroys man's religion. Totally. If you think that by going to church, going to confession, seeing a priest, doing your ritual, that you're going to appease God, your God is shallow. My God can only be appeased by one thing, the precious blood of Christ. And it has been shed once for all. Religion is destroyed at the cross. Ritual is gone and over forever. Let me share with you Job chapter 33. You know, this is an obscure, obscure passage, but I got to tell you, God spoke to me last week through Job 33 when I was on vacation, way with my kids, and I was reading through my, my daily reading in the book of Job, and God profoundly spoke to me through Job 33. I didn't expect it. It was a wake-up call to me. I'm going to share with you what God said in Job 33. Here is a man who is so confused with all the, the challenges in his life. And his friends are trying to convince him, Job, you, you've done something wrong in your life. You're guilty. You're, you, you, know, you, you have sinned against God. This would never have happened to you if, if you weren't you know, hiding some kind of sin. This truth in Job 33, 24 to 27, is amazing because it, it, it peels back all the layers of superficiality out of our heart, takes away all man's pride. It just drills right down into what I am, a core sinner before a righteous and holy God. Here's what God says. If Anyone will say, I have sinned. I have perverted what is right. Can I stop there for a second? Would you be willing today to say to God, a holy and a righteous God, I have sinned. I have perverted what is right. You know what you're really saying? You're saying, I'm, I'm guilty. And I deserve to be punished for my sin. Oh, hear, this, hear this tremendous truth. Then he will be gracious unto him. And he will say to him, Deliver him from going down to the pit. For I have found a ransom. Who found a ransom? God found a ransom. In the person of his son, God has provided for my sin. You know what's so amazing about that? Is in some translations it says, I have sinned, I have perverted what is right, but I didn't get what I deserved. <laughs> you know what, guys? If I got what I deserved, I'd be separated from God in hell forever. That's what I deserve. Because I am a guilty sinner. And the closer you get to God, the more you realize how holy God is and how sinful I am. When you realize the inflexible 
righteous standards of God, and you realize before this holy and righteous God, I have sinned. I have perverted what is right, and I didn't get what I deserved. God says, be gracious unto him. Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Could I tell you, folks, at the cross, God found a ransom. Jesus said, I came not to be ministered unto, but I came to serve and give my life a ransom for many. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Propitiation is this. At the cross, the righteous, holy standard of God was met in the person of Jesus Christ. He gave himself a ransom. When I believe on him, God is satisfied and I am satisfied. My sins are gone. I have peace with God and God will never judge me for my sin because he has found a ransom in the person of Jesus Christ. My sin has been paid for. God has been propitiated. God is appeased with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on my account, and I'm saved by the grace of God. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, the sins of the whole world. That's amazing truth. I love this. I, I, I'm so thrilled with the fact that Jesus Christ today advocates for me. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Do you know what I want to tell you? In the Old Testament, the children of Israel, they, their sin was just covered. And they didn't know if they were going to make it through another year. And they had to go through these rituals. That all pointed forward to the ultimate sacrifice when once in the end of the age he appeared to put away sin. Not the blood of bulls and goats. They could never put away sin. But the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot once for all has taken care of my sin. My sin will never be questioned again before God. Romans 8 there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. My sin is gone. God has been totally satisfied forever on my sin. And so you say, John, you'll never sin? No, I will sin. I love this verse. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Hey, guys, catch this. Just for a moment, just, just picture this for a moment. If it were possible, I wish it was, for right now, our human eyes to look into heaven, we would see at this very moment a glorified man in a human glorified body 
the person of God's Son, Jesus Christ, physically there with nail-scarred hands, standing before the Father, advocating for you and me. That is amazing. If any man sin, we have an advocate. So here's how this works. An advocate is a legal attorney. It's a, a representative of one who pleads my case. So, God forbid, let's say I go out today and I sin. And, and I feel this sense of guilt and my conscience is bothering me and I, 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 I'm, I'm all worked up about it. Before anything has ever happened and before I ever come to God, the Lord Jesus Christ is there already on my behalf with hands lifted up. Scars, the nail prints of Calvary. And he says to the Father, I've taken care of John's sins. And I go free because the Lord Jesus already paid for my sin. And I have a legal representative, an attorney, that pleads my case before a holy and a righteous God and says, hang on, I've already paid for John's sins. And God looks on Christ and lets me go free. But I want to tell you something else. You have an adversary, and I have an adversary. And I have been afflicted by my adversary. I don't know if you have or not. But I'm going to tell you a quick story. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Be vigilant. Because you have an adversary, the devil, who goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Revelation 12 and 10 says, He goes back and forth to the throne of God, and he is the accuser of the brethren. He brings your sin up. He makes you feel bad and guilty. And he says, John, you're a complete failure. You will never succeed for God. Look what you've done. Look at your past. You, you're, you're completely done. You're useless. But we have an advocate who stands before the Father with upraised hands and nail-pierced hands and says, I died for John Wells. I paid for his sin. He is spotless. He is pure, clothed in the garments of salvation. When God looks on me, he sees his son, holy, spotless, righteous. I am in Christ. And my adversary cannot afflict me because I'm in Christ. Here's a quick story. Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and verse 32. Jesus is going to Gethsemane. And, and Peter says, Lord, if everyone denies you tonight, I will not deny you. Peter says, I'll die with you. I'll go all the way with you. The Lord Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, I'm going to tell you something. Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. Oh, I have prayed for you. Could you catch this today? I don't know what you're going to be rattled with this week or the next week or whatever. 
But Satan desires to have every one of us, because he's our adversary, and he wants to sift us, and he wants to rattle us, and he wants to tempt us, and he wants to shake us. And we go through that experience, but we have an advocate. Oh, thank God. At the right hand of God is my advocate who represents me. And Satan can't touch me. He's already been destroyed. And God says to Peter, when you are turned back, strengthen your brethren. Do you know why we experience temptations and trials in life? One of the reasons is so afterwards we can help other people. You know, like what I've gone through and what you've gone through, we can share our experiences and I can encourage you and I can say, look, I went through this experience of temptation in my life and Satan rattled me, but God restored me. Let me draw alongside you and, and encourage you. That's why we go through some of these trials and temptations. And God knows. And he says to Peter, he says, Peter, when you are converted, when you're turned around, strengthen your brethren. Peter messed up so bad three times, denied the Lord with oaths and cursing. You know what's so awesome? Failure is never final with God. Never. You're going to fail in your life. Get, pick yourself up and keep going. Peter has just totally denied the Lord. The Lord is there, and, and that little maiden, and he's saying, I've never heard of this guy, don't know him. And he, he's betraying the Lord with oaths and cursing. And across the room, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Oh, imagine how Peter's heart melted. Peter denied the Lord. He goes out and he weeps bitterly. You know what Peter's thinking? I'm done. I've messed up my life. I'm completely done. And the Lord says, Peter... When you are turned around, strengthen your brethren. Peter, you're going to stand 40 days from now on the day of Pentecost, and you're going to preach with power, and 3,000 souls are going to get saved. If you told Peter that that day, he would say, absolutely not. This would never happen. I'm done. Can I encourage you today? You do have an adversary, but you got an advocate. you got one who represents you before the throne of God that is stronger and mightier and more powerful than any force in this world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Be encouraged today. We have an advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous. You will have failures in this life. But God has been propitiated. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17 is what I'm going to close with. It says that you have a merciful and faithful high priest. This is awesome. He was here, okay? He experienced humanity. He is able to, to succor those that are tempted because he was tested in all points as we are yet without sin. And he knows what you feel right now. He knows where you are. He knows your struggles. He knows your issues. And he is merciful. Praise God. He's merciful. And he's faithful. And he is able to meet your need. God has been forever satisfied 
on account of the sins of his people, and we've already gained the victory. So I just hope that this little message on propitiation has been a blessing to you. A place where God meets man, a place where man meets the Savior, and a place where Jesus Christ advocates for us in heaven. Be encouraged, and I hope that you have a great week. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you today for the word of God. We thank you for our advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, who represents us. We thank you, Lord, that his blood was shed and you are satisfied forever on account of our sin. Help us to go from this place today in victory, in encouragement, and help us, Lord, to walk before you in love and in the fruit of the Spirit. And I pray that each one of us would abide in Christ and that you would preserve us from the adversary who seeks to devour us. Help us to place our faith and confidence in you and to thank you and to worship